Hey everybody, thanks for joining us today. Waters Church exists to see people's lives changed in the name of Jesus. And if you'd like to be a part of that life change that happens here every week, both in person and online, you can partner with us financially. Just go to waterschurch.org give and select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us and we hope that you enjoy today's message. excited to be in the house of God, sitting up front, loving Jesus with our actions and our schedules and our time, and I would like to say that today I saw a lot more people who were here early. You did a good job, and I really do want this, where we just look forward to coming into the house of God every single week. I would love that. Lines out the door trying to get in here because we know something happens here that's special. God is in this place. Kind of nice. The water's warm. Hey, I can get used to this. Oh, yeah. Come on, somebody. Oh, splashing. Mm hmm. Strawberry kiwi? Yeah. I wonder what movie I'm in. Is this? Aw, oh, crap! It's okay. Stay calm. Come on. 
Wake up! Oh crap! I can't wake up! Steve's you are. He must have said something. Also, Martin. Not a word. Lord, it's a miracle! Man up and vanished like a fart in the wind. Nothing left but some damn rocks on the windowsill and that cupcake on the wall. Let's ask her. Maybe she knows. Feel like talking? <clears throat> oh, me? No, 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 no. I, I just got here. I, I was in a church two seconds ago. Now I'm in a poster. What are these clothes I'm even wearing? I really just have no idea what's going on. Ah, oh, guess not. Why should she be any different? This is a conspiracy. That's what this is. One big oh, come on, conspiracy. Man. Why are you throwing and rocks? Everyone's no need on for it. that. Come on. Don't you throw that rock at me. Ow! Oh, your boy done escaped. He really went digging, digging for a long time. Yo, what are you doing? Ah! Wow, I can really never catch a break. Oh, wow. Welcome to Waters Church, everybody. At the Movies, part two. Uh, the Gospel According to Shawshank. How many of you have seen Shawshank Redemption? Yeah, you should have seen this movie. If not, I'm going to ruin it for you tonight. You won't need to see it after this message, but you might want to see it anyway. And uh, th this is one of my favorite movies, like top five. Anybody with me? Top five all time. Like, you know, this one, you just got to watch. Does anybody ever get Shawshanked? You know what I'm talking about? Shawshanked is what, I, what, what happens when you're doing work in the yard or around the house, and then you turn on the TV, take a break get an iced tea, and you start to watch some TV, and then suddenly there's Shawshank. And before you know it, an hour and a half has gone by, you've been Shawshanked. You get nothing done, the movie sucks you in, there is something about this movie. Outside in our lobby, you can see, uh, for those of you who are online, you don't get this opportunity, but everybody here, there is a place to take your mug shot, take a ch uh, tour of Andy's cell out in the lobby there, like to do cool things like that. And then I thought about, you know, just be creative with your mug shot, do something that, you know, that would be kind of fun. Funny, something you can put on social media. My wife was one of the first people to do it. I wanted to show you what she put up here on her mugshot. So there you go, Cheryl Hatch. <laughs> she, she looks kind of happy about that, doesn't she, right there? She's all excited. Anyway, would you stand with me as we read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3? Here's what Peter says. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice 
Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now yet see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Every person who's here, Lord, every person watching online, God, we pray that you'll speak to our hearts. God, we pray that in this moment you will have sovereign, uh, sovereign uh, power and sovereign authority over every heart. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Open our eyes to see you. Open our hearts to receive you and help us most of all to see Jesus. In his mighty name we pray. And everybody say it. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. So there's something about the Shawshank Redemption. It is a, a jewel in the rough, if you will. It's one of these movies that you just, you didn't expect to be as good as it was. In fact, when it first came out, people did not think it was going to be all that great. Evidenced by the fact that on the opening weekend of the Shawshank Redemption movie, after the weekend tallies were counted for what movies were the top gross income movies and what movies were the most watched, Shawshank Redemption was number nine on the list. It only stayed in theaters for about six and a half weeks. Can you believe this? And now today, all these years later, if anybody has ever gone to imdb.com, anybody ever go to imdb.com? It's like the internet, internet database of movies or whatever, internet movie database. And it's the top rated movie on the user-driven internet movie database. The top rated movie. It's above the Godfather. How many know that's like sacrilegious right there? But this movie, something about this movie, this prison, I mean, you think about it, it's about prison. Like not, not many of us have been to prison. Right? I mean, if you have been to prison, don't tell us. You'll freak us out. But you know what I'm saying? Like, we're not going to go to prison. We're not, reading, we're not watching this movie for educational value, hopefully. What do I do when I get to prison? How do I, how do I avoid, you know, the sisters, so to speak, if you know what I'm talking about? And, and so it's like this movie is not something that you would expect to take off, but it has. It's grabbed our attention. Like I said, it Shawshanks us. And I actually did a little bit of research about why this movie did not get uh, as much play when it first came out as it should have. And uh, evidently, there was a scathing review in the L.A. Times. The L.A. Times, one critic, one critic gave this movie a horrible review, said it was awful, don't go see it. How many know that's fake news right there? Fake news, hashtag, fake news. I mean, sometimes the news media doesn't get it right. Amen, somebody. And so I was thinking about what is it? What is the theme of this movie that is so compelling, that draws us in, that makes us want to see it? And then I thought about the, the tagline of the movie. It's actually on the movie poster outside if you see it in our lobby. Here's the tagline. Fear can hold you prisoner. Hope can set you free. Fear can hold you prisoner. Hope can set you free. What a powerful phrase. What a powerful idea to be set free from the constraints of fear. 
What fears are holding you back, I wonder? What are, you, what are you letting destroy your life because you're afraid that something might go wrong, something might not come through, something might hurt you or harm you, or somebody might let you down? Fear can hold us prisoner. Hope can set us free. It's a fantastic line. But it has, to be asked, it has to be asked this question. And if you're taking notes, you'll see the question there on your notes. And if you're not taking notes, open your bulletin. In the bulletin is a piece of paper. It looks just like that. Take it out and fill in the blanks with us. But I, I wanted to discuss this topic of hope, first of all. Here's the question we got to ask. On what are you placing your hope? On what are you placing your hope? Human beings are natural hopers, aren't we? We hope for things. We want things to come to pass. We want some things to pass on. We hope for a better job. We hope for children. We hope to one day get married. Some of us hope to have our first child. Some of you are hoping that your last child will finally move out. Some of you are hoping that you'll find the one some of you are hoping that you're, you know, whatever your boss will keel over dead one day. I don't know. You're hoping for something. We're made to hope. But what are you placing your hope on? I want to say that Christians don't just hope in the sense of wishful thinking. We're not wishful thinkers. Right? I think Mark said this a couple weeks ago. Hope is not just hoping someday, maybe, if it's true, it will happen. No, that's not what the Christian hope is. In other words, Christian hope is not Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. It's much deeper than that. So Christian hope looks back and then it considers what we need to do now so that we can anticipate what's coming. Christian hope looks back. Somebody say back. And we look back to what God has done in the past so that in our present, somebody say present, so that in our present, we can make decisions that are in accordance with what God is planning for us and what, it can do, what he has already done for us. And then looking forward, somebody say forward, knowing that the God who started a good work in us will be faithful to bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's my hope. How about some of you? On what are you placing your hope? I found this great definition of hope. It's right there in your in your notes, I didn't want you to fill in the blanks there because I didn't want you to get this wrong. Here's what it says. Here, here's a great Bible dictionary definition of hope. The confidence that by integrating God's redemptive acts in the past with trusting human response in the present. There it is, past, present. The faithful will experience the fullness of God's goodness both in the present and the future. The hope of a Christian is to remember that we serve a God who has already done something. The hope of a Christian is rooted not in fables and fiction. The hope of the Christian is rooted in a historical event. The Apostles' Creed tells us this. The Apostles' Creed tells us that there was a man named Jesus that was crucified under a Roman governor named Pilate. That this is not wishful thinking, friends. Christianity is not Aesop's fables. Christianity is not fiction. Christianity is truth. 
Is truth rooted in the fact that there was a man sent from God? His name was Jesus. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He stilled the sea. There was nothing he couldn't do. He fed thousands with a sandwich. I mean, this Jesus was an amazing man. And then they put him on a cross 2,000 years ago. And then they buried him. And they thought it was over. And his disciples even thought it was over. They were hiding behind locked doors. But how many know, three days later, his body rose again triumphantly, and he lives forever, and he sees, intercedes for us at the right-hand side of God the Father. This faith is rooted in something that happened. The grave is empty. Jesus is alive, and nobody can undo what God has done in his son, Jesus Christ. This is not wishful thinking. That's why I say hope in the Christian is not just maybe it'll happen. No, hope is always rooted in that something already did happen. And the God who raised Jesus will one day send Jesus back to gather up those who put their hope in Jesus. That's the Christian way of hoping. It's so much better than the worldly way of hoping, than the secular way of hoping. It's not maybe it'll come true. It's rooted in what's already happened. You know, there's two ways to read this book. There's two ways to read this book. The first way is that you read it like it's a rule book. And you think, what does God want me to do? And mostly you read, what does God not want me to do? And you think, oh, okay, where are the boundaries? I did youth ministry for six years. Six years of doing youth ministry, that'll drive you to your knees, amen? <laughs> Ministering to teenagers, horny little teenagers in New England. How many know? They're always trying to find out how far can I go, Pastor? Pastor Tim, how far is too far? I want to go further with my girlfriend. And I want to know at what point will God send me straight to hell? I mean, that's how they read the Bible. And some of you, that's where you are. So what's not allowed? Like, there's a lot of fun that I want to have, but what's not allowed? God, if you could just tell me so that I don't do the things that will get me to hell. It's like a rule book. Like, that's how we read it. Like, that's, that's what the Bible is about. So you're always trying to find out just how much fun can we have before God has to come along and ruin it. <laughs> how do you know that's not the way you got to read this book? This book is a record. Somebody say record. It's not a rule book. It's a record book. It's a record of what God has done. It's telling you that in the very beginning, God started to speak and things started to happen. That's how it opens, doesn't it? That's how it opens. Open it up to the first page and it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But it was dark and it was void and there was nothing and there was nobody and it was chaos and it didn't look good. But God said, let there be light. And bam, there was light. And it was like, whoa, now we're moving. I mean, it's God speaks and light shines and things come to life. The Bible's trying to tell us, put your hope in this God, everything that that you love, everything that you like, everything that you hope for will be fulfilled only in him. And I love reading the Bible that way because it reminds me that there's never going to be a day that's too dark for my God. Amen, somebody. 
There's never going to be a hatred that's too strong for the love of God to undo what people have thrown my way in terms of hatred. Amen, somebody. There's never going to be a failure that's so bad that God cannot reclaim it and repurpose it for my ultimate good and for his ultimate purposes. I serve a God who's alive and takes our mess and turns it into something good. This is how I read the Bible. This is how you got to read the Bible. And I think that this is why the Shawshank Redemption is such a powerful story. It's such a powerful story because it's a story about hope. And some of us think that it's a story about a prison break. And we're wrong. It's not about a prison break. It's about a man who needed to have hope. And someone came and gave it to him. I call it the gospel according to Shawshank. It's in your notes there. I want you to fill in the blanks and I want you to see. Does this sound familiar? What I'm about to tell you is the plot line of Shawshank Redemption. I want you to ask yourself, does this sound familiar? Here it is. An innocent man enters a guilty world and offers hope. He escapes and provides the means for his friend to be with him in paradise. Does that sound familiar? Could it be that the reason why the God, could it be the reason that the Shawshank Redemption is such a powerful and profoundly moving film is that it basically parallels the true story of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Could it be that the writer, Stephen King, by the way, native New Englander, could it be that he actually inadvertently, subconsciously, ripped off the gospel, <laughs> repackaged it into a prison movie, and changed the world through it. I mean, it's a powerful story. Andy Dufresne, falsely accused of killing his wife and her lover, sentenced to two life sentences. I never understood that. Two life sentences. Isn't one enough? Sentenced to two life sentences to the fictional prison, the uh, Shawshank prison in Maine. And, and somehow this man cannot and will not allow the prison system to change him. No, he will change the system. And when it looks like all hope is lost, in spite of all the good things that he's done, in spite of all the hope that he's offered, things don't go better for him. They actually go worse for him. That sounds like Jesus. And he's... Looks like he's going to be the loser and the deal and the evil warden is going to win. And, and now he is pretty much at his wit's end. And just when you think all hope is lost, the boy tunnels through that wall, crawls through that pipeline of excrement and comes out clean and makes a way for his friend to come see him in paradise. Friends, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's just when we thought all hope was lost. Some of you, that's your story. Just when you thought all hope was lost. The God who said, let there be light in creation, said, let there be light in your heart. Gave you something that you did not formally have, hope. A way to make it. The gospel according to Shawshank. I want to talk to you tonight about our problem, our prospect, and our promise. Our problem, our prospect, and our promise. Number one, if you're taking notes, our problem is institutionalization. It's a long word. I'll give you a chance to write it down. 
If you watch the movie, this is what basically happens in Act, Act 1. The people of Shawshank Prison are institutionalized. What does that mean? That means that they can't even imagine life on the outside. <laughs> they've been prisoners so long, they've been, they've been walled in for so long, it doesn't seem like there's any possibility that they could ever live outside these walls. And I thought to myself, this is the human condition. This is not just the Shawshank prisoner's condition. This is our condition. That before Jesus comes, it's almost like we can't even imagine being free. For some of us, you know, think about freedom. You say, well, I'm a free person. I'm an American. Yeah, I know. But there's a lot of Americans who are living in private prisons. How many know what I'm talking about? The prison of shame. The prison of guilt. The prison of hate. The prison of fear. The prison of lust. The prison of private sin. The prison of drugs, alcohol, substance abuse. Prescription drug abuse. I'm going to pick your flavor. It's like Baskin Robbins around here. Figure out what makes you happy and watch it make you miserable. And we get it so institutionalized, we can't imagine life on the outside. And guess what we start doing? We don't get better, we get worse. We don't get free, we get more angry. We get more despondent. We trust there's anything to do, there's any hope in our lives, little, less and less and less the odor we get. This was the prisoner's problem. Early in the movie, if you remember, there's this, there's this part where one of the oldest inmates finally gets out. His name is what? Brooks. Brooks finally gets out of the prison. He goes to the halfway house. This is a man who has been in prison for 50 years. And he's freaking out, and he tries to one, he attempts to kill one of the other prisoners so that he gets to stay. And you think about this as a free person, then why would he ever want to do that? And the movie does a powerful job explaining it. I want you to watch this first clip. Check this out. Brooks ain't no bug. It's just, just institutionalized. The man's been in here 50 years, Hayward. 50 years. This is all he knows. In here, he's an important man. He's an educated man. Outside, he's nothing. Just a used up con with arthritis in both hands. Probably couldn't get a library card if you tried. You believe whatever you want, but I'm telling you, these walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes get so you depend on them. That's institutionalized. First you hate them, then you get used to them, then you go to depend on them. Institutionalization. The sin of the world. In your notes there, it's under the first point. The Bible says in Galatians 3.22, the scriptures declare that we all, somebody say all. We all are what? prisoners of sin. And it's so, it's so pervasive in our world that it's actually hard to see. 
You watch the news and you wonder, how could people do stuff like that? Anybody ever do that? Like, how could they do that? Sin. Well, I know what they did is sin. No, 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 stop. Back the truck up. Beep, 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 beep. Before they do it, there's a condition in their heart. Is sin. Sin is not an action. It's a condition. It's the walls that keep you from breaking out and becoming free and living above the circumstances. Living free of what people think about you. Living free about what people do to you. Living free by how they judge you. Living free from your own entanglement of your own evil lusts. It's a condition. We're all there. Here's how the Bible unpacks it for us in Ephesians chapter 2. One of my favorite passages. Here's what Paul says. He says, and you were, what's the word, everybody? Dead. You weren't bad. You were dead. Before Christ, it's not that you were a bad person or needed some work or needed to be fixed up. No, Paul says, you were dead. You you had no hope. Here's what he says. You were dead in the trespasses and sins. It's a dead condition, death condition in which you once walked. Now look what he says. He unpacks it for us. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The bad news is you're trapped in sin and dead in your trespasses. The the good news is, so is everyone else. <laughs> it's the human condition institutionalized. And so the gospel comes to make us alive. That, that, how do you help a dead person? How, how do you help a dead person? Do you put makeup on them? You put makeup on a dead person for their wake, but how many know? Give it a couple of years. You ain't want to see them again. How do you help? Do you educate a dead person? Do you scream at a dead person? Do you give a dead person rules? There's only one way to help a dead person, and that's to make them alive again. That's to raise them from the dead. This is what Jesus came to do for us and for humanity. Jesus did not come to improve our condition. Jesus did not come to fix up a few things. Jesus did not come to help our marriage get back together, help our kids stop messing around, help our house sell, help our new house be purchased. Jesus did not come to improve your life. Jesus came to make your dead life alive in him. Jesus doesn't improve people. Jesus resurrects people. He gives them life. How? How? By breaking into their institutionalized mindset. Here's what institutionalization does. Here's what sin does to us. It makes us get so so stuck that we can't possibly believe that God could forgive us. I get this all the time as a pastor. I could never go to church. Why not? The day I go to church. Come on, finish it, somebody. Yes, the roof will fall in. These especially bad people got it right over here. (laughs) What what is that? 
can't be forgiven. Maybe that's where some of you are. Can I, can I tell you? It's the glory of God to forgive us. It's the glory of God to forgive us. Write that down in your notes. You see it there. It's the glory of God, number one, to forgive us. Psalm 79, verse 9. Help us for the glory of your name. Save us and forgive us our sins for what? For the honor of your name. You ever see God forgive somebody who shouldn't be forgiven? Guess what? It's not about that person who you think shouldn't be forgiven. It's about the God who forgives them. When you see somebody who you don't think should be forgiven, you should throw up your hands and say, thank you, Jesus. If you can forgive that dude, I know you can forgive me. <laughs> and sin locks us in unforgiveness, but God, through the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, breaks into our institutionalization and gives us the offer of hope that your sins can be remembered no more. That in Christ Jesus, you stand free and clear of all the crap you ever did. That in Christ Jesus, your sins past, present, future, washed away in the blood, washed away. Jesus, John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He doesn't just cover them. He doesn't just shelve them. He takes them away and he removes them and he casts them into the sea of forgetfulness. And he says, as far as the east is from the west, so far I've removed your sins from you. In other words, stop digging up your own sins. Jesus Christ has forgiven you of your sins and made you a brand new person. And if God has you in his hand, he doesn't hold anything against you. That's a, powerful, that's a powerful offer of hope. And then number two, though, here's another thing. We don't think God could be good to us because you know, we're sinners. And this is where some of you are. I know that God has forgiven me. So that's enough. And this is why you never expect God to do anything good for you. Because he had to go out of his way to forgive your sorry behind. Be happy. At least you're not going to hell. Like that's where a lot of Christians, this is, these are the grumpy Christians. Anybody know a grumpy Christian? If you don't know one, you are one. I say that all the time. You guys fall for it every single time. Just raise your hand. Whenever I say anybody just, ra yes, that's me. I know somebody who's grumpy. <laughs> grumpy Christians don't think God would ever do anything good for them because it cost him so much to forgive all their sins, he's exhausted. <laughs> and, and here's what the Bible says. No, 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 no. God wants to be good to you. God wants to be good to you. The Bible says in, 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 in James chapter 1, this is the next point on your notes, is the glory of God to, number two, be good to us. James chapter 1, verse 17. James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Have you got some good things in your life? Nobody. Okay. If you got some good things in your life, say amen. amen. They're from God. They're from God. God has been good to you, and guess what? God will be good to you. Stop moping, Christians. Stop feeling so ripped off. 
Why are those sinners getting it and I'm not getting it? Stop it! <laughs> look at what God has given you. Take a good look at the people around you, the church that he has planted you in, the best church in New England. God bless you. I mean, you've you got to understand, it's, the, the it's to the glory of God to be good to people who don't deserve the goodness of God. You ever see God be good to somebody who doesn't deserve it? And you say, <laughs> and, and God is like, stop it. It's not about them. It's about me. So you can see that your badness doesn't upend my goodness. So stop moping because they got it, you didn't get it. Start expecting that if he was good to that sorry guy over there, he can be good to you. You know, you're gonna get what you believe, friend. I'm just, I'm sorry. You're gonna get what you're expecting. If you expect misery as a Christian for the rest of your life, you'll get it. Mostly because nobody wants to be around somebody who expects misery all the time. And so you'll be miserable and lonely. But if you expect God to do good things because he's going to show off just how good he can be, you're going to see it. And then when people look at you and they say, what is it? What's going on in your life? It's the goodness of God. Gives you a chance to tell people serving God is far better than not. Number three, it's to the glory of God to love us. Some of you don't feel loved. Some of you feel unloved. Some of you don't think that God, all right, he'll, all right, I'm sure he'll give me, you know, forgiveness and he'll love and he'll give me some good things. But loving me, I'm hard to love. Just ask my mom or my dad or my spouse or my kids. I'm hard to love. I'm hard to love. Charlie Brown Christians. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to eat some worms. It's like, don't you get it? Have I not said it now enough? It is to the glory of God to love you. Him loving you is bringing glory to the fact that he is able to love those who don't even feel worth loving. The Bible says this in Revelation chapter 1, all glory, glory to him who, what? Loves us. His glory is revealed in loving the unlovable. I'm not talking to anybody in this room that felt like you weren't worth forgiving, that felt like you weren't being good to, that felt like you weren't loving, and yet Jesus did all those things for you, and you know it wasn't because of who you were, it was because of who God is. That's our testimony. Our testimony is to the world to say, jump on the gravy train with God. It's good to serve God. I was having a conversation with one of my pastor friends this week, and he talked to me about his grandson. Doesn't want to go to church, doesn't want to follow Jesus, doesn't want to believe in all this stuff. You know why? Because he wants to have fun first. <laughs> How many above 40-year-old people could get up on the stage and say, it's not fun? <laughs> Some of you doesn't even have to wait till 40. It's like you're in your mid-teens. You're like, it wasn't fun. I had one bad week on spring break. It was not fun. And And... and and we have this misconception that it's like God is the celestial killjoy and the good stuff is out there not doing it. So when we're done having fun with all the things that the devil can give us, then we'll finally give our lives to God. And that's just baloney. 
That's, you know what that is? You know what that is? Institutionalized. Number two. Our prospect is hope in God's work for us in Christ. Blessed be God, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, there's this point in the movie where they play this song. Actually, they, not they, Andy. If you remember the movie, he breaks into the, um, I don't know, the headquarters of the prison, and he plays a record of an opera over the sound system. And this beautiful aria floods Shawshank Prison. And red just kind of gives testimony to this glimpse of hope. And he says so beautifully, he says, I have no idea to this day what those two Italian ladies were singing about. We can put this up on the screen. Truth is, I don't want to know. I would like to think that they were singing about something that was so beautiful it cannot be expressed in words. It makes your heart ache because of it. I tell you, this voice soared higher and farther than anybody in a gray place dares to dream. And it's like some beautiful bird flapped into our drab little cage and made these walls dissolve away. For the briefest moment, every last man in Shawshank felt free. Do you know what Jesus came to do? He came to give us a glimpse of hope. He walked the earth for three years, ministering to the people who needed him most. It was God's beautiful aria telling us that there's something better than what we see, touch, taste, or feel, and that something is God with us. But for some reason, we have a hard time believing that. We, again, God with us, God for us. Could it really be that good? Could we get out of our institutionalization? Unfortunately for Red, it's a little bit hard. He's grown cold to the prospect of freedom. And he actually gets to the point where he doesn't want to give in to hope at all, in spite of what Andy has done. That's the next clip. I want you to watch this powerful moment where Andy comes back from getting punished for playing that aria over the sound system. Watch this. Hey. And you, you couldn't play something good, huh? Hank Williams or something? They broke the door down before I could take requests. Was it worth it? <laughs> Two weeks in the hole? Easiest time I ever did. There's no such thing as easy time in the hole. That's right. A week in the hole is like a year. I had Mr. Mozart to keep me company. <laughs> so they let you tote that record player down there, huh? in here in, in here that's the beauty of music they can't get that from you haven't you ever felt that way about music didn't make much sense in here here's where it makes the most sense you need it so you don't forget 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 that there are places in the world that aren't made out of stone, that there's a, there's something inside that they can't get to, that they, they can't touch. It's yours. What are you talking about? Hope. Hope. Let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. It's got no use on the inside. You better get used to that idea. Like Brooks did.
Now, the question is this. Why is Red so anti-hope? Why is he so mad about it? Because it's one of the few moments in the movie where Red gets mad. He can't fathom this even discussing this idea of hope that Andy's filled with. And I thought about this for a while. I thought, you know what? This is so perfect because it's just like us. This is why we don't have hope sometimes. Here's what Red was doing. This movie does a phenomenal job opening and in the middle and at the end of giving us three parole hearings for Red. And if you know the story, you know the movie. Every time he goes into the parole hearing, they say, you've served 20 years of a life sentence, 30 years of a life, 40 years of a life. Do you feel that you have been rehabilitated? What is his answer? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. No danger to the society here. I'm a changed man. God's honest truth. It's this memorized line. And each time he says his memorized line, what happens? He gets rejected. You know what, you know what Red was doing? It's what we all do. So what we all do with God. He was trusting his own righteousness. He was trusting his own goodness. Oh, yeah, I'm good. I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven. Why? Because I'm good. Based on what? Well, I'm not as bad as those people over there. Well, why do you think you're so good? I've never killed anybody. You know, there's more than one commandment. <laughs> and this is what we're doing all the time. This is what people, this is what, listen, this is what religion is. Pleading our case before a God we hope will accept us for what we've done. You know, you know it's just not the case. Here, here's, here, here's the reality. Our goodness is never enough. Can you all say that with me? One, two, three. Our goodness is never enough. No, no, no. I want you to say it like you mean it. One, two, three. Our goodness is never enough. Now close your eyes and say it one more time. Our goodness is never enough. You know what? It's in your notes there. There's only one thing more dangerous than unrighteousness, and that's self-righteousness. Oh, I know a self-righteous person. They go to church all the time. No, no, it's not always just the people who go to church. Sometimes it's the people who don't go to church because they don't think they need Jesus. Why? Because they're good. God's honest truth. Just like red. And guess what happens on the judgment day when people plead their innocence and goodness before a holy and just God? Denied. Jesus said there's going to be some people who show up on Judgment Day and they're going to say, did we not cast out demons? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do these wonderfully good things? And Jesus is going to say, depart. I never knew you. Just trusting your own righteousness for a holy God. See, the Bible says there that by grace you've been saved, Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can what? There will be a lot of things in heaven, a lot of things. There will be no boasting. Nobody in heaven is going to be up there saying, Not me, not any of you, should you get there. 
not Billy Graham or Mother Teresa. Nobody. You can't save yourself. And I can't save myself. And just like Red, he couldn't get out of that prison based on his own goodness. See, the gospel upends our own self-righteousness and opens our eyes to the righteousness of God that is a gift by faith in Jesus. And if we believe it, we receive it, and we have it. And it can't be taken away from us. Number three, though, the promise is heaven. The promise is heaven. <laughs> According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Kept in heaven for you. That God has something ready for every person who receives his son Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. An unperishing, unfading, unspoilable opportunity. So Andy breaks out of prison. Beautiful moment. Crawls through the sewage line. Gets out. One of those epic moments in film history. And he just rips off the prison garb and he puts his hands in the air. And the rain, almost symbolically, washing him clean of all the crap. Victorious. And if it's about Andy, the story ends there. But it's not. He prepares a way for Red to come where he is. And he tells Red before he gets out, I'm gonna, I, I got something for you. It's buried. You're going to have to dig it up. This is before he escapes. You're going to have to dig it up. If you ever get out of here, Red, you go and get that thing. I want you to have it. Red goes, finally makes parole. What does he make parole? How does he make parole? By giving up on his own righteousness, by the way. He goes out to that field in Buxton, Maine. He climbs up to that stone wall. He starts digging down into the dirt, and he finds what Andy wanted him to have, money for a trip he wanted him to take and a letter from Andy. And I want you to show this last clip as Red reads that letter. Dear Red, if you're reading this, you've gotten out. And if you've come this far, maybe you're willing to come a little further. You remember the name of the town, don't you? Zewataneo. I could use a good man to help me get my project on wheels. I'll keep an eye out for you and the chessboard ready. Remember, Red, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. And no good thing ever dies. I will be hoping that this letter finds you. And finds you well. Your friend, Andy. That's a powerful moment. He's given the means and he's given the pathway to meet his friend in paradise. And that's the offer for every person on the face of the earth that would hear what God has written to us. That Jesus, before he went to the cross, he turned to his disciples and he said, 
I go to prepare a place for you so that you may be with me where I am. The cost of your journey has been paid in the blood of Jesus. The letter has been written. Will you get up and get on that bus and come to Jesus?